0: Hey there, Captain Roger from the Salvation Army Corps in Grass Valley, California, and thank you for joining us for our worship and study time. Hey, grab a Bible, flip to Acts chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. But before I uh, get to where we're going to be, let me tell you how we got there. We started with a young man named Saul. He was a Pharisee leader who was well seated among the Jewish elite. He was a man who was highly educated and a hard worker, and he was determined to bring purity to an impure world by creating and enforcing rules that would make people be holy as he understood holiness. Now, m- Mainly, we're reading about him because he wanted to put an end to the growing sect of Jesus' followers. See, their master hadn't viewed purity the way the Pharisees did. And, uh, in fact, Jesus had pushed at and embarrassed the temple leadership so much they had him killed. And now his followers were claiming that he was alive, even though he had been crucified. Saul had seen him executed by the Romans, nailed to that tree. And he knew that Jesus was dead and buried. And Saul wanted to do the same with any of his followers who couldn't be persuaded to publicly recant Jesus. So he attacked their collectives in Jerusalem, which caused many of them to flee to cities in the outlying territories. And uh, then Saul went and he sought and got a commission from the high priest to hunt down members of the rebel sect who had gone to hide in Damascus. But on the way there, something happened. Um, a, A bat coal, we talked last week about what that means, an encounter with God or his divine agent speaking from heaven. And Saul saw lightning flashing and he heard a thunderous voice. And that voice said Saul was persecuting him. And when the hapless Pharisee asked who it was, the voice said, it's Jesus. And then the light vanished and the voice vanished with it. And Saul found himself blind and discombobulated. If the others who were with him hadn't seen the light and heard the voice, Saul wouldn't have known at all what to make of it. But since they had, he couldn't fight the only logical conclusion Jesus was who he had claimed to be, and he was very much alive and speaking with the authority of God. Now, that's where we left Saul last week, and he was blind, struck blind by the light when he saw this, and he had been put up at the home of an acquaintance in Damascus. Now, Saul didn't eat or drink anything while he stayed there. Even as one day turned into another, turned into three, while he sat by himself, thinking, praying, and wondering. Meanwhile, across town, something else was happening, and this is where we're going to start today. Acts chapter 9, at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, a lot of stuff we don't know here. We don't know if this Ananias is a new believer in Jesus, or if he'd been around since the beginning, like a few had. Either way, we talked last week about how unsettling a vision from God must be. I suspect it was fairly unsettling just to hear the voice of Jesus, but then the instructions he's given kind of crank up poor Ananias even more. He's pretty sure there's something wrong with those directions. Verse 13, "Um, uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I could tell you this, this always makes me laugh. God always says, go do X. And the person getting the instructions is always like, um, hey, you know, I'd love to, but there's this thing I guess you don't know about. And Heist goes further. He says he's got people who let him know that Saul hasn't really been very nice, and he's kind of out to get the followers of the way, so maybe the uh, Lord should just slow his roll a tad. Because we all know that God tends to rush into things without all the information. He needs us to tell him what's going on, Right. Eh, yeah no Um, this is God we're talking about here Uh, God knows all the stuff that we know and then some we should probably just all stop trying to tell him what's not possible because with God all things are possible now I don't think God minds questions Uh, here he doesn't answer Ananias question or objection directly like uh, how in the book of Job He doesn't actually answer any of Job's questions directly, but he has questions of his own. And he points out that his purposes might be beyond what Job can comprehend. And Ananias gets kind of the same response from Jesus here. Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name or to uh, put it in modern terms. Hey, Ananias, uh, reach back, put your hands on your rear end. Now grab and lift, because I want you to get your butt moving towards the door. There's what you think you know, and then there's the truth. Which one of us is God anyway? So with that reminder firmly in place, we're told, Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, whatever his fears had been, the Lord's reassurance had settled Ananias. I can tell by the way he called Saul, brother. That's a term he wouldn't have used lightly. It is a recognition that they are one in Christ, part of the same family or household of believers. And I don't mean that in a they-go-to-the-same-church kind of way either. I mean, that's sort of how we've watered it down over the centuries. To Jesus and his earliest followers, being part of the way of Jesus was belonging to the same family. And in those days, that meant you were... Bonded together you were pledged to one another sworn to the same Lord and God and sharing the spirit of that God it was a choice to be open to and for one another that kind of family may not always agree on everything but they always look for the best in one another and trust that the others will do the same for them Jesus says Saul's in the family well Jesus is the head of the family that means Ananias has a responsibility to care for Saul as a brother, and so he does. So when Ananias finds Saul and sees that he's blind and in need of aid, he acts like a good brother. He lays hands on him. He offers him words of acceptance and encouragement, and he prays for him. And the scripture says, this is verse 18, Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, That sounds good, doesn't it? Now, personally, I would say that his true blindness had been dispelled before his physical blindness was. But I'm sure that being healed by Jesus through Ananias, as he was shown in his vision, was an event that confirmed everything Saul had realized to be true. It was more than just eye-opening. It was exhilarating. Can you imagine the pure joy he must have felt in this moment? I mean, he knows. He knows that Jesus is alive. He knows that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He knows that he has accepted, and now he's part of this community. Can it get any better? So Saul, he breaks the fast he had been uh, in while he was mourning his mistakes And uh, the weakness that's been brought on by three days of dehydration and hunger, they quickly pass. But what should he do now? Look at the next part of this verse. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once. He had realized his mistake. He had grasped where he'd been wrong and how the pieces could go together to prove that Jesus was more than just a man sent to initiate a mission of change. And so his joy and his excitement propelled him out into the places that he knew best, the center of religious life in the city that he was in, the synagogues where his people would gather for worship. And he went there and he announced, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is alive. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now the power here is the kind that you hear when someone teaches the truth of the way. It's a preaching that lets you know without a doubt that the speaker knows that what they're saying is correct and right and true and amazing. And they want you to know it too. It's the power to engage someone's attention and awaken their mind. That's what I pray for every time I get a chance to teach, by the way. I don't know how successful I am. But this is always my goal. It's always my plan, my hope, to give you something that you will think about. Today, hopefully, that's Saul in his conviction that Jesus was and is the Messiah and that he is from God and of God. The people who heard Saul, they were shocked because this staunch, well-spoken apologist calling them to come join the way of Jesus is exactly the opposite of what they expected from him. This is like a cigarette smoker being confronted and told to quit by the person they were taking smoke breaks with just the week before. You know, they're feeling somehow vulnerable and a little miffed. Who who was that they were sharing a heater with? How come that person seems to be so different now? Was that person then a lie or is this new one a lie or is this dramatic change real in some way or is it some kind of a fad or a phase? Should they listen to him or should they offer him another cigarette and tell him to calm down? Should they take in what he says about Jesus? Hmm. And it didn't take long before they began to turn on him. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. That's a little hard to say exactly how long this all took, but when we put the clues all together, including things that Paul and Luke say about this time elsewhere in Scripture, it seems like it was about three years altogether. Now, that's not certain. It might have been a much shorter time. But Paul's teaching was explosive. It was like black powder being spread around the whole area until there's an explosion just waiting to happen, needing that one single spark to set it off. Then, we're told, Saul's disciples smuggled him out, smuggled him out of the city. His, his disciples. His disciples. That's what verse 25 means, where the NIV uses the word followers. We're talking about disciples. Disciples. Paul is pointing people to Jesus, but those who have made the decision to follow the way of Jesus because of what Saul was teaching, they considered themselves to be sitting under Saul's leadership. That was the Jewish model. Rabbis and students leading the faith of the people. The students learned from Saul. So Jesus was the master. They were followers of the way, but they were Saul's disciples. And when it became too dangerous for their teacher to stay... They persuaded him to get into a basket and they lowered it out a window in the city wall so that he could escape. But now what? Well, Saul thought about it. He decided he needed to return to Jerusalem to check in with the leaders there. Which brings us to verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, now, is it any wonder that they were afraid of him? Even if this was a full three years later, the community of Jesus' people in Jerusalem is the community that Saul had all but destroyed in his persecution of followers of the way. To put it in stark terms, this is like a Nazi concentration camp commander coming to tell the prisoners he's going to set them free now. All they need to do is just follow him and let him into their fellowship and celebrate with him. It's understandable that they balked when Saul came. And Barnabas, he saw this struggle and he acted to address it. After all, Saul was part of the family. Barnabas was going to look out for him. And as was his nature, he was going to encourage him. Remember, that's why Barnabas was called Barnabas. It means the encourager. His birth name was Joseph. He was a Levite from Cyprus. He was one of the followers of Jesus who'd sold property so that there would be money available for the apostles to make sure that the least among them could get the assistance they needed to have enough and more instead of having little or none. Barnabas like Ananias, responded to the evidence that Saul was part of the faithful by accepting the former adversary as a brother. And he didn't just give Saul a chance, he spoke up for him. He shared Saul's story with those who wouldn't meet with Saul themselves. He shared about the things Saul had done in Damascus, how he argued for the way of Jesus, how he preached a risen Messiah, Jesus as divine. He explained how Saul had been so passionate That he had awakened the same anger among the leaders in Syria that the apostles had stirred in Jerusalem, just like Jesus before them. Because of the witness and support of Barnabas, the apostles opened their homes and eventually their hearts to Saul, at least for a while. We're told that Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The the Hellenistic Jews again. You remember them? Synagogue of the Freedmen? They're not about to let the message of Jesus have free reign in their city. And as Saul began to win more and more converts to the way in the city of God, they began to plot ways to capture and kill him. Saul was a Hellenistic Jew himself, a native Greek speaker, and well-regarded before he'd left the city. There's speculation he may actually have been part of the synagogue of the freedmen, so his conversion to being a believer in Jesus would have felt like a betrayal to them. It's no surprise they began to take steps to eliminate him, at least not to us. It's not a surprise. Saul probably struggled with the idea that those who had once been his closest friends would turn on him instead of turning to Jesus with him. And again, his fellow believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ, they rescued Saul. They spirited him away to another city for safety and then sent him to go home to Tarsus. Jerusalem wasn't the place for his kind of fiery in-your-face rhetoric. Not then, anyway. The great debaters of a Greco-Roman city like Tarsus, they would be a better audience for him. So with Saul moved on to a more suitable region, the apostles, they would be able to continue their very Jewish ministry of presence, winning converts by loving them into the kingdom, not arguing with them. And God blessed both ministries. Let's look at verse 31 as our last today. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace And was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. The followers of the way of the Jesus of the way of Jesus. (laughs) Let me try that again. The followers of the way of Jesus, like the Messiah that they served, kept a healthy respect for God at the forefront And they listened to the Spirit of God, which had been placed within them as an advisor and a guide. The result then, like the result now, is an increase in the number who devoted themselves to following the Lord. Now, we are going to leave Saul right here for now. We will find him in Tarsus soon enough, but there are other things for us to talk about before we head out into the world outside of Israel. All of which we will get to another time. For today... Consider this, everything about the ministry of Saul was impossible, impossible from his amazing conversion to his miraculous healing, from the unexpected and radical forgiveness and inclusion into the family of God and the people of Jesus, to his own amazing ministry of apologetics and the souls he helped find their way home to the Lord, it was all impossible. His life and ministry are filled with impossible things. And so are ours, when you think about it. Utterly impossible. But nothing is impossible when you're doing it with God. So follow God. Follow the way of Jesus. Follow the way of love and care for our neighbors and draw others in. Pray for them so that they can be filled with the Spirit and give themselves over to this crazy, impossible faith too. If you haven't had someone do that for you before, or if you feel someone should do it for you again, you know what? Let me do that for you right now. Let me have the privilege of that blessing. Tell you what, you don't need to close your eyes or bow your head or any of that to uh, to talk to God. I know that we do that in prayer all the time, but you could just look, look right out. Find something beautiful. That something is not God. It shouldn't represent God, but it can remind you of God's presence with and around you. If you prefer just to close your eyes and bow your heads, do that, that's fine too. But you know what? Let's pray. Let me pray for you. You pray with me. Father God, touch our lives. Touch the lives of anyone who needs your presence which is all of us. Fill us with your spirit so that we can learn and follow the way of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. From our day-to-day things that we do to get by, the simple things like making toast, eating breakfast, getting dressed, all the basics, to the complicated things, work and relationships, and how do we as a nation, interact with other nations. Lord, I just pray that you would lead us to make Christ-like choices in our lives, in the little things, in our relationships, the, the things that matter most to us. And I'm not saying screen us away from the big things, help us to remember the big things, but Lord, focus us on the little things, the stuff that we can change. And if we're worried that one person can't make a big difference, remind us of the difference to this entire world that Jesus has made. Remind us of the difference that Luke made by writing his story down, the difference that Saul made by teaching, by taking his great learning and applying it in one small setting at a time. Help us to represent you even when we are only representing you to those who are passing by who might see no more of us than one or two seconds as they walk or drive past help us to represent Jesus help us to represent you Lord I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus And I ask that as we go out of this place and head into the world, that you would remind us again and again that we need to think, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus live this out? And we need to apply our lives to doing what Jesus would do. We need to listen with our spirit to your Holy Spirit so that we do the things that you are directing us to do, even if they seem impossible. Because nothing is impossible with you. Again, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. And amen. Hey, grace and peace to each and every one of you this week, wherever you go. Remember, you have nothing to fear. Because God is already there. So just go with God. See you all next time.